Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Rachel. And I'm Freddie. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be discussing how the Rwanda bill is tearing the Tory party apart. Hello, I'm Anoush Shikelian, Britain editor at the New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Cunliffe, our associate political editor, and Freddie Haywood, our political correspondent. Today, we're discussing the Rwanda bill yet again. The hill or the bill that the Conservative Party seems determined to die on. (laughs) A lot has happened this week, so I'll just quickly fill in any listeners who haven't been watching every twist and turn on this, for which I don't blame them. Um, On Tuesday, the right of the party attempted to put down some amendments on the bill to try and ensure that neither the UK nor international law can be used to stop a person being deported to Rwanda and to make it more difficult for people to appeal against deportation. And that resulted in 63 Tory MPs rebelling against the bill by backing these amendments, including the deputy party chairs, Lee Anderson and Brendan Clark-Smith, who resigned from their positions, and Kemi Badenoch's PPS, Jane Stevenson, who also resigned from the government payroll. The next vote took place yesterday, which resulted in a much smaller rebellion. I think 11 rebelled. And so the bill did pass. And the next step is for it to go to the Lords. So, Rachel, you were in Westminster yesterday. It must have been quite a crazy day. Can you tell us, first of all, a bit about the mood in Parliament? Oh, it was such a weird couple of days Mm. because uh, all of Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday afternoon, these debates were going on in the chamber in the the House of Commons. uh, And I watched several hours of that. But quite interestingly, you'd think like this is such a important, crucial issue for the Conservatives, but actually relatively few MPs turned up to speak in those debates. Obviously, they're debates on the amendments, and so you wouldn't necessarily expect a full house, but it was kind of striking that you could see Sola Bravman there, you could see Simon Clark and Miriam Cates, who are two leaders of the five families that I said I wasn't going to use that phrase in 2024, <laughs> but it's kind of inevitable. Um, you know, Sir John Hayes was there. You could see like these sort of big hitters, but the benches were basically empty and very few from Labour and the opposition parties turned up. It was really just like Tories making speeches at other Tories. Um, <laughs> like Jeremy Corbyn, I think, for most of the day. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a, little bit, a little bit of that too. Um, but then the real drama was happening outside the chamber. There were all of these 
gaggles of MPs meeting, discussing what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a meeting uh, late yesterday afternoon when the, the right-wing Tory MPs decided they would get together after the debates on the amendments and just discuss how they intended to vote. A meeting that I actually turned up by accident to because Parliament's a bit of a maze and I was looking for something else and I took a wrong turn and I ran straight into Lee Anderson and I was like, oh, something's going on here. Uh, and so I, I eavesdropped outside that room and there were about 40 to 45 MPs there, which is kind of what you'd expect because you had just over 60 um, yes. rebellions on the amendments on Tuesday night. They've been saying for a while, these groups, that they've got like between 60 and 70. So that group met. The interesting thing is that what they decided at that meeting was basically to give up. And you really got the sense throughout those two days that what the right of the party, this faction, had been expecting was that if they showed a sizable rebellion on the amendments, if they kept talking really tough, if they made these really passionate speeches, then Downing Street would back down and offer some concessions because that's kind of what's happened in the past. And for whatever reason, maybe Rishi Sunak found his spine. Maybe he was worried about the One Nation group that you and Ish have talked a lot about. You interviewed Damien Green. Um, whatever reason, he, he didn't blink. And so when it came down to the actual vote, they had the choice of, do you vote against this legislation that you have already said is, in your view, an improvement on the current situation? Or do you torpedo the whole thing? And most of them chose to hold their noses and back it. Okay, but it was quite interesting who did rebel in the end, because you did have the former Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, and the former Immigration Minister, Robert Jenrick. And, you know, these people are, are have have quite loud voices, even though they're no longer in government, because they know the, the legislation and the issues quite intimately. Um, and they also, you know, are developing a bit of a following in the party as well. Does that does that make any difference to Rishi Sunak's authority? Um, I suppose the big question is whether you'd want to be associated with the Rwanda policy at the moment. I think it's beneficial perhaps for Jenrick and others, you know, looking ahead to the, the leadership contest, which will probably come after the next election, to take such a hard line on, on Rwanda. But also I think they have to ask... Well, it's not been that edifying a show. Mm-hmm. They've not been able, as you said, Rachel, to uh, convince the government to give in. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily that good, particularly in the eyes of the public. I mean, in terms of number 10 strategy, it's remarkable. Again, I mean, I know we said this before, but it's worth reiterating. It's remarkable that they put so much political capital and so much emphasis on this scheme. I mean, we've had some new polling out from Savannah, which says that the public now trusts Labour more to stop the boats. Uh, than they do uh, the Conservatives. I mean, Labour have essentially taken their own slogan and, and made it and made it theirs. I mean, think about the other things that they could have focused on. We've seen the, the drip through since the autumn statement of this idea that the Conservatives are going to have lower taxes and they're going to pursue growth through um, in a different way than the, the, the Labour Party is. Labour Party are going to borrow this $28 billion, That's going to lead to higher taxes. That's the argument that Jeremy Hunt and Jeremy Hunt just tweets about, you know, incessantly every single day. You can't have both. You need to sort of pick a strategy. And at the moment, Rishi Sunak's both trying to appease his party through this uh, Rwanda scheme, but he's also trying to win over the voters with this focus on the economy and the cost of living, which we know is the, the key priority. And he's not really able to do both. Well, I don't think he's managing to do both, because while no. all of this mayhem was taking place in, on Wednesday, I was in... Um, I was in an Essex town to do a piece on something completely different. And one of the um, sort of reporting trips that I made there was to a cafe in a supermarket where, you know, locals and regulars come to chat to each other. And, 
you know, they they were completely confused about how much attention was being paid to this Rwanda issue. They were saying they, they were aware that it was very expensive and that it wouldn't result in many people being um, deported anyway. And they wanted that money to go into their local hospital that was about to have some services stripped from it. So I think people are finding that the cost of living crisis is, is sort of versus Rwanda rather than something that the Tories have successfully managed to marry, which I think we've spoken about before, yeah. could be a potential avenue if they wanted to say, you know, the more people we have coming in, the more pressure there is on public services. They haven't successfully managed to make that argument enough for it to make sense to draw so much attention to the Rwanda issue in particular. Yeah, and and we, I should say that, you know, some of the people that I was speaking to pro-Brexit, you know, they weren't mm. people who were necessarily anti the government, you know, by default. And we know there are some people within the government who feel that as well. It's quite widely reported that James Cleverly has essentially said when he became Home Secretary, maybe we should focus more on uh, the Albania scheme, maybe we should focus on the the, the cooperation we have with the French yeah. rather than the Rwanda scheme. So, I mean, it's it's clearly a choice that they've made because there was there were other options available. Coming up after the break, what spooked Lee Anderson out of opposing the bill? If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Rachel, who's leading the sort of rebellion against this? I know that the rebels weren't successful, but there is still so much um, disquiet in the Conservative Party. It's interesting that Lee Anderson, Brendan Clark Smith and Jane Stevenson represent Ashfield, Bassett Law and Wolverhampton North East, respectively, and they're all 2019 MPs. So they're, they're sort of very much um, representatives of those red wall, so-called red, red wall MPs who won some of these seats off Labour in historic wins in 2019. Is it a kind of, is it the red wall panicking about losing their seats? There was that polling in the Telegraph that um, sort of extrapolated on a seat by seat basis what would happen and suggested that all of those seats would be lost. Well, it's a it's a mixture. You've got some who are the kind of diehard long term conservatives on the right. People like John Hayes, who has been a conservative MP yeah. for decades yeah. uh, and who has that kind of authority. Uh, so you've got them. There's a lot of knighthoods on the list. There are a lot of knighthoods on the <laughs> yeah. list. I noticed that. Uh, I'd be interested to look up like when they got their knighthoods, mm. though, like w- w- which era they're associated with. <laughs> um, but you've also got Red Bull MPs who are worried about losing their seats. It's kind of worth noting, I think, with Lee Anderson, that obviously he and Brendan Clark-Smith resigned on Tuesday night so they could back some of the amendments. Yeah. But when it came to the actual bill itself... Brendan Clark-Smith voted with the government and Lee Anderson abstained. He says he went into the no lobby and he saw Labour MPs and they were laughing at him and he went, I can't vote with you, and so he abstained in the end. Right, Um, Okay. (laughs) Which is... (laughs) It's quite thin-skinned for Lee Anderson. Oh, that's a bit snowflakey, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Uh, can't stick to my convictions because, you know, other MPs might laugh at me. Uh, Do you not uh, find that? I find that deeply embarrassing that, you know, one of our 
nation's MPs <laughs> act in such a way. It just, it just makes me cringe. Yeah. I, I stopped reading about it last night. I couldn't look at it anymore. Yeah, that is... So yeah. I, I think there's this idea that some Red Wall MPs have that Rwanda is the issue that will hold that 2019 coalition together. And that is what the analysis of the polling that came out on Monday said, that the Tories are headed for electoral wipeout. Well, you know, tell us something that we don't know. But if you look at the number of people who are saying they're going to vote reform, and you just add that to the number of people who say they're yeah. going to vote for Conservative, then you can't have a Conservative victory, but you can at least have a, a hung parliament and deny Labour a majority. And it took like minutes for lots of people, including YouGov itself, to come out and say you can't really make that connection. Um, it's if you look at people who vote reform, Ben Walker wrote a really good piece on this. I wrote on this on Monday. Reform voters aren't automatically going to go to the Conservatives if reform aren't a threat or if the Conservatives head to the right. There are lots of reasons why they might be voting reform. What they'll probably do is stay at home. And we know that Tory apathy is a real, real threat to Rishi Sunak in, in the election. But there's this narrative that you've got to give the Brexit backing 2019 Conservative voting coalition something. And that something is Rwanda. And actually, if you look at I think polling focus groups in particular in some of those seats, they're quite similar to the rest of the country. There's not something magic about seats that used to vote Labour and voted Conservative in, in 2019. Like They're concerned about public services, the cost of living mm. crisis, services in local hospitals, uh, the economy, all of these issues as well. And the number of voters for whom does this very specific scheme that is only going to target a very small number of people that's to do with the smaller proportion that's illegal immigration anyway, rather than legal immigration, which is much, much higher. But that is the thing you pin your vote on. It's a narrative that I think Red Wall MPs have swallowed, but I don't think it is borne out in the data about Red Wall voters. It's, I mean, I, I sort of posited this hypothesis in Morning Call yesterday. I'm not, I don't know whether it's right or, or not, and I, th I suspect that it might not be, but it, I think it is interesting that we saw such a shallow, uh, thin uh, agenda for levelling up in the, mm -hmm. the first sort of you know, three years of the, you know, the 2019 parliament. Um, and after that, you know, they had a few billion in some funds that you know, northern towns could come and come to Whitehall and, and beg for. Once <laughs> it was shown to be such uh, such a paltry amount, I think it was interesting that the the narrative shifted quite quickly to immigration because it's almost like if we can't have leveling up. Then at least let's try and solve the immigration issue. I don't know whether that's true. I'm just sort of speculating here, but I do think it's interesting that that's happened. They didn't get one and, you know, maybe they want to get something at least. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting theory because I remember the days after the 2019 election, it being said kind of everywhere that Red Wall voters who switched to the Tories, they hadn't given the Tories their votes. They had lent the Tories their vote. They had lent Boris Johnson in particular yeah. their votes. And we now talk about the 2019 election as being the get Brexit done election, which obviously it was, but it was also the levelling up election. That was Yes, like, exactly. Uh, that was the other plank of that manifesto. It was a really core plank. And you're right, Freddie, we don't talk about what happened to that scheme at all. Brexit like, has happened. They're trying to move the Brexit thing onto the Rwanda thing and kind of ignore the failed promises on what was actually probably the much harder thing to do, which is how do you level up the country, which governments have been trying to do for, what, 50 years? 
I mean, it's also interesting, just going back to the reform point, I think it is. it was remarkable, yeah, it was remarkable that the Telegraph sort of assumed that all of these votes would go to the Conservatives. Reform, you've got to remember that many people who support reform are simply just rebelling against the system in general. It was quite interesting seeing some of the voters who supported the Lib Dems in 2010 in 2015 switch to UKIP, which you wouldn't expect, obviously, but it's just because they were the third party sort of seen as this insurgent force and though and they weren't uh, one of the two main parties. So it's not always the case that just because people support reform, they don't necessarily support the, the more right-wing main party. Exactly, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I think I've said this on this podcast before, but I've heard voters when I've been out and about on the campaign trail say that they'll vote for reform because they like the idea of reform, you know, as a, as a thing <laughs> to go. happen. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, if a party branding works for it, then go for it. Yeah. But it's not all, OK, we know exactly that, you know, how many shares Nigel Farage has in this in the reform party and we know exactly what its um, policy agenda is. I think a lot of it is that protest vote and actually some of it hasn't really translated, you know, through to by-elections lately either. So there could be a, you know, staying at home effect too that comes from that. Um, and, you know, really when you talk to the sort of bang average Tory MP, they're more worried about, you know, where Lib Dems are placing in polls in certain seats and where Labour is in the polls, you know, 15 to 20 points ahead than where reform is in the polls. That's that's probably um, the numbers that should scare you more if you're sort of... Yeah, and they are scared. I mean, speaking to Tory MPs this week, I know we've said this for for years almost now, but the malaise, the sense of resignation, Mm. the weariness, the anger. You know, some Liberal Tory MPs are essentially describing the... the colleagues on the right is like fascists um yeah i mean i, I mean, was interested when i interviewed damien green sorry to interrupt okay. you um who is who is the sort of representative of the one nation mps yeah. he was he was just calling them the hard right yeah which i thought was you know yeah, i would i would party. probably hesitate to write that if i was writing an opinion yeah. piece about that wing of the party but he was very happily using that frau kate yeah. is what <laughs> someone said to me this week i mean wow. the, the the anger in the sense of that they aren't part of what we're trying to do here is just so palpable. It just mm. speaks to the fact that the the party is riven, absolutely riven. And as we know, you can't have message discipline. You can't have everyone talking about the same thing and saying to voters, support us on this, if your party is divided. And even the right itself is divided. Mm. Uh, the, we've talked before on this about how the, the five different factions don't necessarily want the same thing on they're all, they're all quite keen on a harder Brexit as it were and, and getting really tough on immigration but beyond that there are lots of things that they disagree on and some of them really, really, I just think it's worth repeating, do not like Suella Braverman and uh, they feel that she has turned the last six months, the last year, certainly the last couple of weeks, into the beginnings of, of her leadership challenge. Mm. And I had a Tory MP on the right say, who, 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 who backed the amendments, who wanted the bill to be tougher, but basically say that all the posturing from her right. was just uh, you know laying the groundwork for a leadership campaign. It was about her. It wasn't about the, the party. Principle. It certainly wasn't about you know solving the issue. So you've got all of that as well. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, at the end of last year, after Sola Braverman was fired, quit, whatever you want to say, uh, the new Conservatives, Danny Kruger and Miriam Cates, put out this letter about how the new Conservatives wouldn't split from the Conservative Party, but it would act almost as a party within a party. They would mm. fundraise for their own group sort of within. They would support candidates who shared their views. And that isn't really a kind of 
collaborative, broad church, we're all working together mm. kind of attitude. That that tells you something about them seeing the Conservative Party as a vehicle for their own sort of subsection interesting. of that. And they probably don't have that much in common with some of their colleagues in the Blue Wall, One Nation side. No, yeah. some people on the left of the party call, uh, call it and see it as entryism. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the word that they're using <laughs> because they think they see the party in effect being taken over by the radical right, whatever you want to call it, uh, and they're concerned about it. And the other thing we have to remember is all of these MPs who have come out and degraded uh, the Rwanda scheme in the past few days, they're the ones who have to go to the public the next election and sell it. Mm-hmm. It's, you can't really have both, and that's why it's such a tricky situation for number 10. Well, just lastly, what's next for the Rwanda bill then? What happens when it comes to the Lords, Rachel? Well, it's it has to get through the Lords, and various peers have already said they're going to be uh, getting down into the trenches, I think was the was the phrase that was used, scrutinising it very carefully, and some of them want to kill it completely. Uh, the government didn't put it in their manifesto, so they can't override the Lords in the way that they would something that had been in their manifesto. So you're going to get a lot of back and forth. Uh, and I'd imagine you're also going to see a lot of contradictory legal opinions saying we have to change this clause because it breaks this treaty, this law, whatever. Uh, you're going to also see a renewed, you're already seeing it, renewed push uh, from the, the right of the Conservative Party to leave the ECHR, which mm-hmm. they see as key to getting the Rwanda bill to work, whether it actually is or not is, a, is another matter. Um, but the, the Lords could really drag this out and you got the impression in Rishi Sunak's address to the country this morning that you know he warned them not to do it and he kind of used some of the language that you'd expect kind of hinted at if you the House of Lords don't play ball then we'll have an election on, on this right. issue we'll go to the country with it he was kind of laying the groundwork for that but then you look at the polls the latest poll has the Conservative Party on 20% like due for a wipeout that would I think Rishi Sunak's seat would be at risk if, if that happened um, and you're like are you really going to go to the country now on an issue that the public and your own voters think you are very weak on. I mean, that, that that seems to me a bit of an empty threat, but that was the message you were trying to send. Just a final point. If the Rwanda scheme doesn't get up and running and it doesn't work, as we expect, this becomes Keir Starmer's problem. The boats aren't just going to stop just because the general elections happened. He's going to have to stop the boats in some form because people will still care about it. There, there might be fewer calls for it. It might not be the focus, but it will still mm-hmm. come uh, atop of the, some of the headlines. So it will become his problem. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Freddie Hayward. We'll be back tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. 